I'll keep a friend there, I think. <laughs> Lovely. So as you hopefully have gathered now, we are actually going to Joshua chapter 3 this morning. So uh, hopefully you got that, that clear. Um, and I mentioned about two or three Sundays ago when uh, I introduced this series we're going through is that we're looking, we're studying this book, we're looking for lessons that are applicable here and now. We're not just looking at a history book, but we're looking for, you know, what's the Lord saying to us? Okay, this is a, a, a word of, you know, 2,000 plus, 2,500 years, years ago, but what is the Lord saying to us here and now? So I'm going to read this and, and be looking for some of those lessons which I think are pertinent, all right? But I very much encourage you to do the same because you may well see other uh, lessons within and you might want to share with them with me afterwards because it's good to hear as well. Now I understand last week Martin uh, spoke on chapter 2, the account of Rahab and the spies and our chapter 3 moves on immediately afterwards. So there's, there's literally there's no real delay. Uh, the spies return to Joshua And they say to Joshua, this is the last verse of chapter 2, verse 24, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting away in fear of us. And then verse 1 of our reading, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So so there's no delay. We've had a week between the two stories. You know, it's 24 hours. It's the next morning. Uh, th- and the reason I'm emphasising this, th- this is very different to what happened 20, uh, 40 years ago as the Israelites were in the wilderness. They rebelled against God. They doubted God's faithfulness and trust. And so when the spies went into the land then, 40 years ago, they came back and said, oh, no, they're all too big, they're too strong, the problems are too big, we can't do this. But this is very different as they come to the Jordan now. There's no delay, there's no hesitation. And the other thing I just want to say about, uh, as a word of introduction uh, to this chapter, is you really have to read chapter 3 and chapter 4 together. Okay? And the reason I say that is that chapter 3 provides us with an overview of the crossing of the Jordan. But then in chapter 4, the author of the book revisits certain key events and enlarges on quite a number of details. So to get the complete picture... You have to come back now, next Sunday, same time. Rich Castro will be preaching on chapter four. If you want the whole story, you're only going to get half of it this morning. And the last thing I wanted to say by way of introduction is we shouldn't understate the significance of what is about to happen here on the banks of the Jordan. Finally, after all the years of exile in Egypt... And even leaving when they've left the bondage of Egypt, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. The Israelites are finally, finally on the cusp of seeing the fulfilment of so many of God's promises. Four out of the five books of the the Jewish Torah, the books of the law, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, has finally led us to this day, as it were. We shouldn't under think this is just another event. This is a very key event in the Old Testament. The story, we're now brought to that point in history where the long-hoped-for, long-awaited promised land finally, finally lies within the Israelites' reach. 
This is the climax of many long, hard years. It's a point at which the Israelites just need to step out once more in faith in order to receive their inheritance. They need to choose faith over fear. And so we read, after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark, do not go near it. It's quite clear that neither Joshua, nor the priests, nor the people know the exact way they should actually go in order to cross the Jordan. But it's also quite clear from the text that that doesn't matter. All they're being asked to do is to follow, to follow the Lord their God. Now the ark is mentioned 16 times in chapters 3 and chapters 4 and it really it represents like, as it were the throne of God where, where God rested in the tabernacle we read in Exodus 25 and God was understood as to be enthroned as it were between the cherubim which were on top of the ark we read in Psalm 80 hear us O shepherd of Israel you who lead Joseph like a flock you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, the cherubim, sorry, shine forth. And just to remind you, the law of God was kept in the ark. It was a reminder of God's covenant with Israel. And the blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled on the mercy sheet on the annual day of atonement. The ark going before the people was an encouragement for them to step out in faith. For it meant that God himself, not another, but God himself was being true to his promises and going out before them, opening up the way. The Israelites may have often faltered on the long road from Egypt, but God has never faltered. God has never failed to continue to try and faithfully lead them if they were but willing to hear his word, to recognise him amongst them and to follow him in faith. The Israelites on their own are just people wandering in the wilderness like so many people are. But it's only by accepting God's word for them that they would, could step out into the, the, onto the journey. At Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So there's one of the first lessons I think that comes out of this text which remains as true for us today as it was for the Israelites back in. You know, we seek God in his word and as we discern that word and understand that word, you know, our role is to respond and to step out. Now I do have a couple of little slides here. So what I'm going to do now, a lot of this text is, it comprises a number of messages and I'm picking three of them. There's the first of all message of Joshua to the people and then there's a message of Joshua to the priests and then there's another message of Joshua to the people. I'm just going to pick up on these three. There's a couple of other conversations in the text which we don't necessarily have time for this morning. And this is the first one. 
verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This was both an order and a promise. And, a ful- and the fulfilment of the promise depending, depended on their obedience to the order. Some of God's promises are unconditional, and all we have to do is believe them. But other promises require that we meet certain conditions. And this is a conditional one. Consecrate yourself. If the experience on Mount, of Israel on Mount Sinai was the pattern, to consecrate oneself meant to that you bathed and you changed your clothes and that uh, you, know, you really devoted your time and attention to the Lord. In the Bible, the imagery of washing one's body and changing clothes symbolizes making a new beginning with the Lord. Sin is often pictured as defilement, as dirt, and God has to cleanse us from it before we can wholeheartedly follow him. For example, Jacob made a new beginning with the Lord when he returned to Bethel and he and his family washed themselves and changed their garments in Genesis 35. And after King David confessed his sin, his sin, he too bathed, changed his clothes and only then, we're told, in 2 Samuel, worshipped the Lord. And this image of, of being cleansed is imagery that is carried across to the New Testament. We find it in a lot of Paul's writings and Corinthians Ephesians and Colossians. For again, in the Old and the New Testaments, we hear again and again and again the call for God's people to be holy because we are told God himself is holy. You'll probably well know this quotation of the Old Testament uh, that the Apostle Peter uh, put in his letter. But just as you who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written... Be holy because I am holy. So the Israelites are called to step out and follow in faith, to follow God in the Ark of the Covenant, but they are called to consecrate themselves. They're called to be holy too. They're called to put on new clothes, to recognize the one who they are following. I think it emphasizes the importance of not losing sight of God's holiness. You know, as we seek the Lord's way for this church, don't let's lose sight of God's holiness. And it's, it's emphasised further, actually, in the text. In verse 4, that little reading I did, uh, the Israelites are told to follow the ark, but when they do so, they're told to be at a distance of some thousand yards. Well, that's about half a mile away. You know, that's quite, quite a distance, isn't it? But I think that image is there for exactly this point. You know, God is holy. And his people need to follow him and seek to uh, please him in the way they live their lives. So I think Joshua's first key message to the people before they step out in faith and cross the Jordan is confess your sins, consecrate yourself, and be holy in all you do. But then he turns to the... To the priests, and he says to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. The priests had the responsibility for bearing the Ark of the Covenant and going before the people as they marched down to the river. It was the priests who had to get their feet wet first. 
It was the priests who would have to stand in the middle of that river while all the people passed over. It would have taken faith and courage for the priests to play their part. But they clearly trusted God and relied on the faithfulness of his word. And again, the lesson I hear from that is that leaders need to have the courage of their convictions and lead. It would, have only, it, would have, it would have taken courage if you think about those priests standing in the middle of a river. You know, one minute is a river in full flood, and now someone says, come on, Martin, you go and stand in the middle of that river. You know, I mean, you probably would not want to spend a lot of time there, but it takes courage for leaders to have the, to have the courage of their convictions. And then we come to the, the, the third one I'm, I'm picking up on, which is jo Joshua's second message to the people in verses 9 to 13. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. See, the ark of the covenant of the, Lord, covenant, of, covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Having instructed the priests who were to carry the ark and to move out into the Jordan, Joshua then shares similar words with the people. He doesn't point to himself, but he points to God and God's word. And I think it reminds us also that authentic spiritual leadership focuses the eyes of the people on God, on who he is, and not on themselves. Joshua, Joshua simply reminded the people of the promises of God, and he encouraged them to respond to that, to step out into faith, or in old, older wording, to trust and obey. And it is in these verses we also see Joshua's understanding of God was much more than just the God of Israel, a local deity in a sense. But instead that Yahweh was the living God, verse 10, and he was the Lord of all the earth. Many years later the prophet Isaiah would say it in these words, Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? No, there is no one, no other rock. I know not one. As we look at these three messages, we can see that the Lord gave Joshua and the people all the information they needed to accomplish what he wanted them to do in that place and at that time. And he called them to step out, to follow in faith, God did not tell them everything up front, all that would need to be done once they were in the promised land. He only provided what they would need for that day, a day when those 12 tribes had a deep, fast-running river to get across. So the Israelites stepped out, and they stepped out towards the Jordan following the covenant. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant ahead of them. We're told that Jordan was in full flood at that time, so it wasn't just a, a little meandering stream or a calm river, but a torrent of water. 
And yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet just touched that water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up, we are told, in a heap a great distance away. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. I was struck by that, that last little sentence, so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And it struck me that isn't, isn't it strange that God chose to lead uh, the people over the Jordan in full view of their enemy? Crossing a river would normally be a risky enough affair as it is, one where any army would be very vulnerable and where they would need time to regroup and regather before a battle. But I think in this we are reminded once again, God's ways are clearly not our ways. We were told that at this time of the year, the River Jordan was in flood, it more impassable than usual. But as soon as the priests bearing the ark put their feet into that river, the water stopped flowing and built up. Unless we too are willing to step out in faith, which goes right back to verse 3 of chapter 1 of Joshua, willing, as it were, to get our feet wet, we're not likely to make much progress in living fruitfully for God. Each step those priests took opened the water before them until they were standing in the middle of that river on dry ground. They stood there as the people passed them by, but only when the whole nation had safely crossed over did the priests then walk to the shore, allowing the flow of the water to return. God who goes before us to open up the way is the same God who stands there in the breach as well and ensures we can all make it safely across. The crossing of the River Jordan is not a picture of the Christian dying and going to heaven, I don't think, contrary to what is said in some songs. The crossing of the Red Sea, 40 years earlier, does picture the believer being delivered from bondage of sin, but the crossing of the Jordan pictures the believer taking hold of the inheritance which they are offered by God in Christ. In this sense, Joshua is a type of Jesus forerunner. Even his name means the same, the Lord saves. It is Jesus Christ, he is the one who has not only liberated us from the bondage of sin, but it is he who now leads the people into their inheritance, if they would step out in faith and follow him. The Apostle Paul wrote, wrote in 2 Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What a tragedy it is when people, God's people, fail to claim their inheritance and just wander aimlessly through life like Israel wandered for those 40 years in the wilderness. Personally, I found that we can never stand still very long in the Christian life. We always have a choice before us, a choice to make, either to move forward in faith or go backwards in unbelief. So now I'm just going to try and draw out, summarise some of the lessons I think that are in that text.
which are relevant for us here in this time. The third one is very obvious, isn't it? The third one is, again, another reminder, as we've had in the other chapters, that we've got to be willing to step out in faith, not to just hold back in doubt or fear just because, you know, we worry about too many things. There's that repeated call, wasn't there, in Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. It's, not, it's God's call not just to Joshua, it's God's call to the people, to the Israelites. And there's also very much here a strong reminder that all would-be followers of, 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 of God need to always be mindful of the holiness of God. I think it's a warning never to be casual about the awesome nature of the one we follow and that it is incumbent on us in Christ to seek his holiness in our own lives. Within this text, there's still a very clearly an ongoing reliance on God's word. And the Lord promises to go before his people. He promised us to lead them on the road. It is one that only he knows. He knows we haven't walked upon it before. But also, like the manna in the desert, God's provision is for the next step. We trust him for the whole journey. But he shows us where to put our feet next. We step out and we trust. We trust him for what will come next, which is where the Martin Luther quote, I think, is quite a nice one. You know, God asks us to put our feet on the staircase in this example, I think. You know, he doesn't tell us you know, where we're going to be going on the journey, but we know that we can trust him. When we, too, are faced with by what we think is an awesome challenge, like trying to get an army across a river that's in full flood, we need to set our eyes on the one we profess to follow, the Lord, the Lord who saves, and to not be frightened into immobility and inactivity by something that looks impossible for us. So those are just some of the items that I see in the text. I hope you might also have managed to pick out some yourself that are of use to you. So don't forget, next week you have to come back for part two of the River Jordan Crossing. Well, it is a series after all, so... <laughs> there we go. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you do speak by your spirit through your word, not just obviously through the speaker, but into our own hearts in different ways. And we just pray that you might be active this morning by your word, you know, speaking into hearts and minds according to your good and perfect will. But Lord, we just uh, pray that as this church continues to look to the future, that we might do so with a great hope in our hearts. For we know we are yours in Christ. We know you are the almighty God, and therefore we pray this day. Lord, lead us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.